Hello again, and welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? We have a really cool episode to dive into today. After our break from Brandon Sanderson for so much of this year, Drew and I are ready now and just in time to cover the newest addition to his acclaimed Skyward series with book three, Cytonic. And before we jump in, I'll remind everyone listening that if you've been following Inking Out Loud and you would like access to extra content or bonus episodes every month, pieces of our own writing, for example, or even the ability to add books to our list of future coverage, consider checking us out on Patreon or Coffee. Now, Cytonic. We've crammed this book, Drew and I, over the span of a couple of days to have this episode ready as a bonus for uh, public on release day. So let's dust off the controls. Let's settle into the cockpit. Ignore another wise-ass comment from Nbot. Nbot? Mbot? Pardon me. Wow. And blast off into the nowhere. Drew, would you kindly recap Cytonic for us? Absolutely. With Cytonic, Brandon Sanderson takes the next step in his YA science, science fiction series that began with Skyward, fully stepping now into the realm of fantasy. After the events of Starsight, Spencer was forced to flee into the nowhere to escape the superiority, and hopes to find answers about her Cytonic powers and clues for how to defeat the Delvers once and for all. She discovers the nowhere is a shifting environment of fragments of worlds that have leaked through from reality, and that there's an entire ecosystem of humans and aliens in residence. The Superiority has a military mining camp, but most of the area is controlled by bands of pirates. She's captured by one band almost immediately, but manages to escape with the help of Chet, a human explorer and fellow Cytonic. With Chet's help, Spencer undertakes the Path of the Elders, a series of portals that are infused with memories from ancient Cytonics. After reaching the first portal and surviving a Delver attack, Chet and Spencer aim to steal a starfighter from the nearest pirate base, but things go awry and Spencer is again captured. She earns the trust of the broadsiders before escaping in a starfighter, only to be penned in. However, her skills impress the leader, Peg, and Spencer returns to the broadsiders as a full member and pilot. With the help of Peg and the pirates, Spencer and Chet reach the second portal in the path, before helping Peg consolidate the pirate bands. Spencer flies against the pirate champion, who turns out to be none other than Hesho, who survived his apparent death in Starsight and was sucked into the nowhere. With five of the six pirate factions behind Peg, they launch an attack on Surehold, the superiority base, and the location of the third portal. After a massive starfighter battle in which the Delvers again tried to kill Spencer, and in which they possessed Hesho, who was rescued in turn by Spencer, the pirates win out and secure Surehold. The Delvers offer Spencer a truce to stop there, Hesho swears himself to Spencer as repayment for saving him. Chet and Peg both offer Spencer deals to stay as well, and she seeks answers from her father's flight pin, which turns out to be Doomslug in disguise. She eventually speaks with Mbot and Hesho, deciding that she must continue on her path. After viewing the memories in the third portal, Spencer realizes that Chet is actually the Delver she changed at the end of Starsight, taken corporeal form, and tried to help her uncover the secrets of the Delvers. With Chet, Hesho, and Doomslug, Spencer and Mbot take off for the final portal. There, they discover the truth of AI and the Delvers' origins. An AI created by Jason Wright was abandoned in the nowhere and locked itself into an endless loop after creating thousands of duplicates, producing the Delvers. With the knowledge of how to defeat them in her head, Spencer flies for the center of the nowhere and the portal home. A swarm of Delvers take the shape of Starfighters and prevent her from getting there, causing Chet to sacrifice himself and Doomslug to hide their ship on the ground. With no other options left, Mbot tricks Spencer, Hesho, and Doomslug into leaving the ship, and he in turn sacrifices himself to open the way. Spencer heads into the true nowhere where she's assaulted by the Delvers. She discovers that Chet is still changed, though, and merges with him. Together, they show the Delvers their greatest fear. Change. The Delvers flee, and Spencer jumps back to Detritus, where she discovers the planet is in orbit around another planet, and Jorgen is now the Admiral in charge. Yeah. One of the, okay. the longer uh, summaries I've had to do in a while. A lot happened in this book. Yeah, and it's difficult to explain, as we'll get into as well. Difficult to understand for me at parts. 
Um, I started off my style something with something very aesthetic, though, not something very broad, but something very very particular. And this made me think of you when I came across it, Drew. Um, mm-hmm. I got a I was reading the PDF of the Gamma copy, and on page ten, I found another of uh, Drew's favorite grammatical quirks from Brandon Sanderson. Yep. When she first enters the nowhere and does an inventory check, she realizes she still has the stolen energy rifle. I felt a ton more safe holding it. So I take it yep. those are still standing out to you. They always are. <laughs> yeah, I only noticed the one. I only noticed the one. If there were any more, I didn't notice them. But I, uh, I there were definitely them. more. <laughs> were there? Yeah. I think that goes to say something about his prose. Then that I just I, I picked up on the one right at the beginning, but for the rest of the book, I just kind of glanced over it. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I just I kind of have to get used to at this point. Uh, yep. He's not going to change it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I uh, still had to bring it up to let's see what you'd make of it, because it made me think of you. I was thinking of you, Drew, two minutes into this book, so. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, go, again, now now let's let's pull out a little bit like I wanted to. Let's let's, let's go broad here. Um, we start off very, very, very quick in terms of the pacing, and I'll admit that my initial overwhelmed reaction, because that's what I was, you know, when Chet rolls up on a freaking dinosaur in yeah. chapter three or whatever it was, to pull out my phone, that was my initial reaction, and write, what the hell is going on? What is <laughs> going to happen in the next chapter? Is she going to meet a fortune teller? Like, these first few chapters just seem to flash by and by and by in succession. They leave you no real time to digest what's happening before everything changes and we're on the run again. But that didn't last for long. By the time we ended part one, I was ready, I was waiting, I was eager for the rest. But I did want to bring this up, that these first few chapters and the initial impression just completely over overwhelmed me. How about you, man? You know, I, I agree with you. Uh, in Not necessarily for the same reasons, maybe, um, but I at least had a similar reaction to the beginning of this book. Um, and and it'll, it'll tell you, um, or I think it's telling, you know, I, I was a gamma reader for this book, uh, but... Uh, because of some of the new like um, organization to the gamma reads, I didn't read the whole book uh, for the gamma read. I I read about the first hundred pages and stopped uh, because this book just starts overwhelmingly Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> uh, and and when I started reading it, you know, when I got the gamma copy uh, earlier this year, I was like, I just I can't take it. I can't take it. And, and so I sat down, you know, the, over this past week to finally read the whole thing. And I started rereading from the beginning. Cause I was like, you know, I, I wasn't really getting the reading experience for the gamma. I'm spending all the time, you know, looking for typos and, and, and issues. But every time I opened it up, I would, I'd read like a page and I'd be like, I'm just not into this. I'm just not into it. And it, it took me, like you said, it kind of till the end of part one before I was like, okay, I can read this. And I ended up reading, you know, basically the whole thing from that point on in one sitting. Uh, but I was worried, you know, I was actually worried that I was never going to be able to get into this book and I was going to end up coming into this episode saying that like, well, I, you know, I, I found a Brandon Sanderson book that I don't like. Um, yeah, I was worried about that same thing. This might, be, this might be the first Brandon Sanderson book that I publicly say I do not like. But that see, was just an I think reaction. in the end, I, I I still come away with it with a positive yep. reaction. Yeah, this is all very initial impression yeah, I'm still yeah. talking about. Um, yeah. But it's definitely not my favorite. Uh, I I think I like Skyward and Starsight both more than Cytonic. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and that's, I'll be talking yeah. about that in the end, too, yeah. Like, it just felt... Uh, I think it, when we were messaging back and forth a few days ago, I, I believe the word I used was juvenile. Um, yeah. Yes, this is a YA book. You know, it's a YA series. But at the beginning of this book, Spencer just felt much more like a kid than a young adult. Uh, I, I thought she felt more childish than she did in the first two books. And thankfully, that didn't remain. Uh, she did a lot of growing up in this book, uh, but but that made it really difficult for me to get into. Uh, mm-hmm. It was like Brandon was leaning really hard on the on on some of the juvenile uh, tropes that he's oh. built into Spencer. What it was for me was Embot. 
and we'll talk about this more. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. elaborate quite a bit once we get into our characters. But Mbot was really killing it for me. Was really spoking my wheel, because I, I, mm. as I go into a Brandon Sanderson book, I'm kind of you know ready. You know what's what's going to be the next uh, quirk of dialogue? What's what's going to be the next quirky character? Is it going to be a quirk that I like, or is it going to be a quirk that I don't like? Is it a flavor I like, or is it one that I don't? And Mbot here, I get that he's. Especially for the first part of this book, he's just entering the nowhere. He's just starting to feel emotions, and it's gotta—it's so overwhelming. And he's not meant to be rational. I get that. Yeah. But he is so incredibly obnoxious every time he opens his mouth for the solid first 10-15% of this book that I was actively <laughs> getting irritated and texting Drew saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through this if this keeps up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and and he got like a little better as it went on, but there were still points late in the book where I was just like, Can you shut up? Late in the book? Oh, not for me. Uh like so the whole the whole um battle against the superiority when Mbot is like trying to like classify all the emotions he's feeling in the middle of a battle distracting Spencer, I'm just like, Shut up. Sh- yeah. Shut up. You know, like- Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there there's a there was a time when, when she was tied up around a tree and she you know, I'll I'll get in I'll get into this more with, with Mbot later. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. get too much into it right now. But um, I'll talk about the setting, actually. The setting? Brilliant. I love it. Yeah, as, yeah. As always, Sanderson manages to make a freaking badass new setting for his story to take place. I mean, the light sphere, fragments of reality orbit, orbiting on a plane, colliding with one another, monsters running around, other dimensions leaking through. How do you go wrong with that? As Sanderson shows, the answer is that you just don't. Right? Yeah. I thought the the setting was fascinating. Yeah. Uh, tons of uh, tons of wonder present mm. here. Uh, yeah. And and I think he needed that because otherwise Spence's decision wouldn't have been as difficult. You know, it, it, this place is so cool. It's so interesting. That the idea of Spencer going off and exploring it with Chet is like actually kind of an attractive one for the reader, you know. In addition to being attractive to Spencer, so it, yeah. it helps that um, that big turn in the book work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, the rest of the book was decent. I wouldn't say it was better than either of the last two. This is where I'm going to agree with something that you said recently. It's at the bottom of the three as far as this series goes for me so far. But I don't have enough distance really to put this one into perspective besides the other two yet. Um, I, I do suspect it's at the bottom of the three, but that's in terms of how much I enjoyed it. This is still a Brandon Sanderson work. Bottom of the list out of Brandon Sanderson work means, in my world, that it's worth maybe five or six rereads instead of 20 or 30 rereads, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm not in a rush to reread this. Yeah, no, uh, it'll be someday, but uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. what I mean. I mean. I'm still it's a Sanderson work. I'm going to reread it. Um, uh, t- one thing I will say is that uh, I am looking forward to reading the novellas now. Uh, I had previously zero interest in reading the novellas. I I declined uh, the chance to do the beta or gamma reads for those. I was like, you know, I just I'm not into this right now. I'm, hmm. I'm not. I'll take your spot on those. Damn. <laughs> well, well, they've already they've already had. Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah. Um, this is even coming out on release day. But no, it, yeah, the, the I believe the beta group for for that was very very small. Um, they wanted it would to need to be very small. big. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so it's like I a week ago I had no desire to read. You know, um, what is it? Redawn, Evershore. Uh, those oh, are the two that are out. Okay. Or maybe Evershore is the third one. I don't remember. <laughs> I wasn't particularly uh, interested in them until now. I'm not sure if I am yet. Um, yeah. This is for casual reading, I mean. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely going to read them in the next little while here. Um, as soon as we can fit it in, eh? Yeah, I'm going to look them up now. I, Sunreach is the first one. Ah, That's Sunreach. Right. Yes. Yeah, Sunreach and Redawn are out, and then Evershore is the third one. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, but th- that tells you right there, uh, you know, I didn't even remember the names of all of them. That was how little interest I had, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but, you know. But, but now I'm I'm looking forward to yeah. it because there, there are enough things in this book where I'm like, clearly I can see where uh, those novellas are going to fill in the holes. Like, really? I, I'm, I'm certain 
that we're going to get uh, in in one or more of those, uh, we're going to get the answer to, like, what the hell is this new planet that Detritus is orbiting around? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah we're going to yeah. get answers about how Jorgen ended up Admiral. We, we're going to get answers like, where the heck is Cobb? Um, you know, uh, I, I assume uh, it, this just felt like a, a Sanderson bit of foreshadowing, especially given how Starsight ended with, with them finding this cave full of uh, slugs. slugs. Yeah. Um, and then in this book now, we find out that there are apparently many different types of them. Mm. And, and so I'm guessing we're going to find out more about them in, in those novellas to kind of bridge. Because, you know, Clearly, they did something with all those slugs. Like, yeah, I'm gonna say, assume those slugs, like the yeah. like the cytonics, have varying abilities too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, there there are things I'm looking forward to getting answers to now. Yeah. Whereas I I didn't know, you know, I needed those answers before reading cytonics. Mm. I'll tell you what else I really liked in this one. What I really appreciated, um, I appreciated how Brandon managed to handle the attention of the more seasoned readers because by now he knows what kind of questions we're going to have when we're starting to get our feet beneath us. Take Chet, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. My first note on my phone for discussion today was, oh, come on, what are the odds that Spencer would just end up in the nowhere and just happen to find not only a helpful guide, but Mbot's old pilot? Come on, yeah. man. I, but, uh, yeah, I had the same exact note yeah. where I was like, he is absolutely not Commander Spears. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it's like it's like mere pages before Spencer herself is echoing that same thought. She's yeah. like, well, what are the odds? This is super sus. No way my luck is that good. I'm going to watch this guy. And that's just one moment. Like, there are several times in this book where I pulled out my phone to raise suspicion about someone or something, only to have Spencer within a few minutes, you know, uh, or at least at most a chapter or two, um, Echoing my exact same thoughts. I don't think in, in 144 episodes, that's what this is, episode 144 of regular podcasts, I don't think I've ever deleted so many notes during and after reading the subject material <laughs> for any episode. I, I, Brandon, I think he, I mean, I think he is getting better and better at guessing where and when the reader's mind is going to wander. And the dude is still getting better with every passing year. So, like, I like to consider myself... Uh, turning into a an expert in his style, but he still managed to surprise yeah, me uh, I, many I times in a book this accurate. size. So um, he he baited me with a red herring. At one point, uh, Chet is teaching Spencer to tie different knots, and he tells her to keep one of the strings to give her, like you know, to practice on or whatnot. Yeah. And we know there's something wonky going on with connection in the nowhere and with objects and memories, and they're both cytonics. I immediately pulled up my phone and went, "Ha, Chet string." It's going to be some sort of link to him, and she's going to remember that she has it in a dire moment later. Nope, nothing. Nothing but crimsy fishiness. Damn. Yep. Got me on that one. Yep. So, it's good. Yeah. It's good. Uh, so, another thing that I wanted to point out uh, with the overall structure of this book is that this was a very relaxing reading experience. Mm. Uh, yeah. Especially given that the last two books I read by Brandon were heavy big-time Cosmere books, The Lost Metal and Rhythm of War. And in the structure of Cytonic... Uh, you have read I'm The Lost gonna, Metal? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the beta. How am I just finding this out now? My, oh, yeah, that I, was months ago. Um, dude, <laughs> have I lost track of... I thought that, that he had still... Ah, oh, sorry, I, I totally yeah, yeah. just spoke your wheel there. We'll talk about no, this afterwards. Can. Yeah, we, we, we will. Um, sorry. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, for obvious reasons, I cannot go into spoilers. No, 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 uh, please the Lost do not. Metal, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but I'll also <laughs> try to avoid spoilers for Rhythm War, just in case we have some Naturally, listeners who, yeah. who have not read Stormlight Archive. Uh, but both of those books follow a more traditional Sanderson, like kind of the structure he writes into all of his Cosmere books, right? Where there is a, a grave misstep, uh, a catastrophe of some kind, you know, it's, it's in this traditional structure somewhere in, in the middle third of the book, usually towards the end of the middle third, we, we have a narrative stumbling block. Something bad happens. Um, in this book, we don't really get that. Instead, it's replaced with Spence's decision. 
And I loved that. I thought that was the strongest part of the book, uh, this internal conflict that she has. It isn't one of those, you know, classic moments where the author rips the rug out from underneath and he's like, oh, you you were feeling good about it, but look at how everything's going wrong, you know, and then and then it's about the characters right. figuring out how to overcome that for the final act. In in this, instead, it's like it's just all about the character of Spencer. Um, it, it's an opportunity for her to make a colossal mistake. And I thought it was a a very thoughtful, profound exploration of her character, which surprised me given, you know, my impressions of, of how kind of shallow and childish the book started. Yeah. And it ended, uh, it, it was kind of, as I said earlier, the turn with this, this kind of sequence shifted the whole tone of the book into a much more serious adult true young adult uh you know kind of atmosphere and i was grateful for that because on the one hand it was easy for me to just keep reading and not like ever have that sinking gut feeling you know that you get when when something really really horrible happens in a book yeah and you have yeah, to be like, yeah all right well how are we gonna get out of this uh instead it made me care about spensa much more deeply uh, than I did before. Mm. And, and so I had the comfort of, you know, this, this relaxed reading experience being like, okay, it's all pretty much been this uphill, you know, trend throughout the book. We didn't get a big failing or mistake or, or catastrophe. Uh, and, and instead it became the kind of book that I really like reading. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I've exhausted all of my style talking points since we're on Spencer. Do you have anything else or should we just dive into her as a character? Um Yeah, we can. Uh I may have a couple of small style things for miscellaneous points later, but but okay. yeah, let's let's keep going with Spencer here. Um Okay. Yeah, like like I said, she annoyed the crap out of me at the beginning of the book. Mhm. But she by the end of it, I was like like, heck yeah. Like, I, I was really enjoying being in her head, reading about her. Okay. I was initially just a little baffled with Spencer. No, 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 I shouldn't say. I was a little, a little irritated with Spencer, or a little annoyed by Spencer to begin with, but um, it was quickly overshadowed by the amount of annoying that uh, M-Bot, M-Bot was. <laughs> but by the end of the book, I, I was just a little confused. And... and she she per- she baffles me as a character. I don't have any reason myself, Rob Santos, to connect with her. She seems to be kind of perfectly competent at everything by now. Like flying, check. Fighting, check. Espionage, check. Mechanical work, check. Uh, deep heart-to-heart conversations with incredibly insightful points and excellent advice, check. You know, she she kind of has everything. And I realized somewhere in the thick of it that this was this is obviously made a lot more obvious by the fact that we have the childlike behavior of Mbot right beside her constantly. But I don't know, like to Spencer to me, particularly when she's giving emotional advice, sometimes she reads like a 50-year-old woman in the body of a youth. And then we get moments like this. Scud, I replied, what about giant scorpions? Orion totally killed one of those on old earth, so they've got to be real. There are several arthropod creatures that could possibly fit that description. Oh, one has a poison stinger on it. If it hits you, you grow fungus on your tongue and in your blood. Basically, it kills you, but mushroom tongues. Wow, I said, that really exists. Spencer, Embod said, are you crying? No, of course not, I said, wiping my eye. It's just, I'm glad something that awesome exists, you know? So it just seems to me, I can't get a read on this girl. She's offering such insightful touching advice at times when she has some of her one-on-ones with Mbot are some of my favorite scenes in the book. But at other times, like she goes from 50 in one minute to like 10 years old in, in the next scene. And it's just, I can't get a read on this girl. So I'm just, between that and the fact that I couldn't real, there's nothing that really brings me into Spence. Another thing I really have in common with her, I was just kind of detached. I was really enjoying Spencer as a vehicle for the plot, but I was really invested in Chet, and I was really invested in Hesho, who we'll get to later. Yeah, but as we far will. as Spencer goes, I was, <laughs> I was just, uh, it was a resounding meh for me. 
personally. Huh, interesting. Yeah, uh, so I I do understand what you mean about you know the, the kind of these two sides to her. I didn't have a problem with it though because I felt like it, she grew a lot in the book. She didn't have these really mature, insightful moments at the beginning of the book. She was really bad at explaining emotion and and engaging with Embot at the beginning, and and it wasn't until much later that she starts, um taking strides and kind of interrogating herself and her interactions with other people and, and realizing, you know, like, um, uh, what was her name? Nulu. Oh, uh, Nuluba. Yeah. Nuluba. Uh, you know, where she goes and apologizes and mm-hmm. says, I didn't treat you right. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and I think it's because, she had to engage with Chet. Uh, that was the thing that really pushed her. She, even though she okay. didn't know it, she was basically getting a crash course in empathy. Especially with her cytonic abilities, and she could yeah. sense his genuine hurt. That's true. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was probably a catalyst for a lot of these changes. Yeah. And so, could, yeah. so by the end of the book, it makes sense to me that she acts much more mature than she did at the beginning. There is a noticeable gradient. I, I will say yeah. that because some of, like I said, I was annoyed with both characters at the beginning, but some of my favorite scenes in the book were Ambot and Spencer talking about, you know, the, the, fra- the human frailty of emotion and stuff like that and what it really means and trying to contextualize it. So there was definitely a noticeable gradient. Yeah, 100%. I just, yeah. with Spencer, I didn't really connect very much, you know. Okay. Uh, she, yeah. She's like, you know, uh, she's also like, and this is this could just be a, a another personal thing, just a, a subjective thing. It seems to me that she's pulling a lot of magical abilities out of her pocket, just time to time. Um, this might just be because I'm so fresh out of reading this for the first time on a tiny little five inch Samsung Galaxy S8, and are in a hurry like I am. I haven't had time to cement a lot of this lore in my head, can it? But I was so overwhelmed with with Spence's abilities in this book. She's she's putting a barrier around Hesho at the end. I'm like, barrier? What's a barrier made out of? She recognizes Chet among the Delvers, but and it says, I seized that sensation and it, it unlocked again. I opened myself up to them. Their essences slammed into my mind. I did this with my mind. I felt a wall. My mind pierced it my soul pierced the darkness it's just a lot of these a lot of these this phrasing it feels very i don't uh what's a non-pejorative term for hand wavy huh it's fantastical i have trouble visualizing these i wanted i wanted to like kind of hint at that um in my summary but like this is full-blown fantasy now and unlike the cosmere we are not given hard magic rules for what's going on and so I I understand your frustration there, and I, I actually agree with it. I had a couple of notes where I was like, it, it just, like, there was one point late in the book where uh, Chet is, like, listing off all the different things that Cytonics can do, all the different powers, and I was like, they can just do anything, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, it kind of, it uh, <laughs> yeah, because I was I was reading a Sanderson book and I had my expectations. This is partly on me. It kind of took me out of the book time and time again. And in the yeah. interludes too, when she's trying to communicate with Jorgen, uh, Jorgen, Jorgen, uh, Jorgen. I'm gonna go with Jorgen. Communicates with Braid and Winsick. You know, there's this very vague language and nebulous imagery that's hard mm-hmm. to make sense of. It's hard for mm-hmm. me to imagine at times. And I imagine, and I'm thinking about how the fact this has to click with the target audience, which is for the large part teenagers and young yep. adults. So maybe it's just a manner of me not being able to visualize things in a certain way i don't have that mind of the artist thing of the visual arts which some can interpret easier than others on the page but spencer was a resounding plot vehicle for me and when things like this came up she just turned i was like oh okay so we're just i couldn't find any handholds there's uh, this this magic is just appearing out of nowhere but like i said i wanted to find like a non-pejorative term for hand wavy that's how i feel about this i was like uh, fantastical okay like it, okay I'll go this was going to be one of my like style points I was going to bring up at the end in in the uh you know miscellaneous points but yeah. but we're on it so uh, <laughs> like comes up again Brandon Sanderson uh made a decision to portray his magic in this book in this manner this is Brandon Sanderson writing a softer magic system I which is something we're way. just not used to that's that's you know he has yeah. made a name for himself as 
the hard magic guy. Everything's got rules, everything has boundaries, there's a cost to everything. And here, it's like, there's a cost, but the cost is becoming less and less as Spensa grows more powerful. Yeah. Uh, you know, the initially, the, the cost of being a Cytonic is, well, a Krell can control you. And then, mm. and then, you know, the stakes get get raised where Spencer figures out how to beat that. And then the cost becomes, well, the Delvers see you. You're going to attract the Delvers. And now Spencer's gotten to the point where it doesn't matter. Like, she can beat the Delvers. They're afraid of her. So, like, there's no cost to it anymore. And on top of that, there aren't really hard limits to what this can do. That we've uh, seen, yeah. Three books in, you know, we have one book to go. Yeah. And, yeah, and it, it just, it feels like, if anything, the next book is going to give her more power. You know, like, and, and so it's just, it's not something we're used to in a Brandon Sanderson book, having him approach magic in this no. way. But yeah. I think it must have been uh, very intentional on his part to write it in this manner. I hadn't even, like, I, yeah, I hadn't considered that. At all, yeah. I think my expectation of a hard magic system, you know, is, is obviously <laughs> a large part of what's uh, what's pulling me out of the book here. When I'm, you know, I'm complaining yeah, about this, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And I'm sure uh, uh, other people, many other readers, are going to have the same reaction. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yep. 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 Because there's an expectation when you go into a Brandon Sanderson book that there's, you know, there's there's yeah. going to be limits and rules and and. And it's all about like the characters figuring out how to maneuver inside that box mm-hmm. to get creative, and yeah. and here it's like, well, she just like burst the walls open on the box, and now yeah. she can do whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I've exhausted everything I have to say about Spencer as well. Would you like to move on to Mbot, perhaps? Sure. Okay. So. So Mbot took me for a wild ride in this book, and yeah, I get okay. Pardon the expression. I have to admit. That by now, with as much Sanderson experience as I have, like I said at the top of the show, I'm looking immediately at the beginning of the book for the next, uh, for, for a few things, actually. Let me back up one more step. I'm looking for a few things. Is that there's an order of business that you have to get into when you're an experienced Sanderson reader and you're going into a new book. I'm looking out for early clues in, in world building yep. or mythology. Yep. I'm paying attention to each new character's quirks because, for one, they can be important later. Um, mm-hmm. For another... You know, after characters for me, like the Lopin, Lift, and Cody, and occasionally Wayne, I'm I'm generally just like, okay, what's this new quirk of dialogue going to be? Um, and then at one point we got Mbot inventing insults and asking for ratings on them. We got that actually twice, and I went, uh oh, I think I found it, but no. No, he actually became far more, he being Mbot, became far more palatable to me. He kind of left a yeah. lot of the nonsense behind, and we got into the meat and the potatoes of the story pretty quickly. He spent less time cracking jokes that are clearly just meant for the reader uh, or stalling or confusing Spencer in outright life-threatening situations. He was, he's, Medbot's not my preferred flavor sidekick at the start, but it didn't last for long and he became way better, way more enjoyable as I went on, so. You know, and I, I admit I was surprised. Uh, if you recall when we did Starsight, I, uh, I had a prediction that Mbot would end up being a villain. Oh. And uh, I, I had a I had a two-part prediction at the end of Starside. I said, I think Mbot's going to end up being an antagonist, and Braid is going to come back and, and end up, you know, redeeming herself. And I still have hope for, for the Braid thing. Really? But Mbot, this book started off with him getting really angry and just leaving. And I was like... Oh, okay. So that happened faster than I thought. <laughs> Wait, and, and then, and and then within like the... five pages, he shows back up and, and he's buddy-buddy again. And it's like, okay. So I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, but at the same time, it was like, uh, I still have this, this, this little tingling sense. Sure, sure. She had to leave him behind in the nowhere. And he has similar origins to the Delvers. Mm-hmm. He's all alone now. Yep. Very soon after, influence. like developing, like so. I'm, 
I'm curious to see what's going to happen when Spencer inevitably goes back into the nowhere to find Mbot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that. I like love what Brandon was able to accomplish with Mbot's character. The, the whole machine-becoming-human thing, you know, it's, it's narrative ground that is fertile as hell. And a writer with mm-hmm. the talent, and by 2021, more importantly, the, a writer of the experience of Sanderson is able to, to work wonders with that material. There are several conversations that I was talking about earlier between Spencer and Mbot where I, I may have been skeptical of Spencer's apparent youth in contrast to her wisdom in, in some areas, but the exchanges they have are some really profound ones later, especially for a YA novel. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, both of these characters had some emotional duets, for lack of a better term, that they harmonized perfectly, so it, it was um, it, it was a lot of fun. Mbot took me for a ride on this one, haha, <laughs> phrasing, of course, yeah. 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 But um, oh, that, that whole, again, at the very end, made you look, the way that one came back full circle. Yeah, that was a good that- moment. That was, that, was that was that was heavy. That was a punch to the gut, and the, especially Spence's one second of confusion afterwards. What a farewell he got. What a what a line for Mbot to exit stage on. He vanished in a flash of light and smoke. The pieces casting long shadows as they fell. I, I mean, uh, metaphors aside, you can somehow hear the quiet in that line. It was just yeah. wonderful stuff. Yeah, uh, that was definitely a good moment. I have a feeling we'll be talking yeah. about that a little more later on. Good, um, good, 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 good. I'm uh, done with Mbot, though. What about you? So I, I have just kind of one last point on Mbot. Go for that it. Is, um, it didn't, Mbot didn't land for me the way it seems he did for you. Uh, like you said, there there are definitely some good moments, but I was not super invested in Mbot's relationship with Spensa over the course of this book. And and I, I would like this to, I guess, be the segue into our next character. Um, and, and that is what really carried me is Chet. And yes. Spencer's interactions That's with Chet. the exact character I have next to talk about. What to say about Chet? I mean, we were all sus, obviously. And then I was less sus myself after Spencer was sus because then I didn't have reason to be sus. But somehow he still managed to surprise me. I was I was floored when it was revealed that he was the Delver and he had been the Delver all along from Starsight. Yeah. I have to admit, when when twi- twists appear completely out of nowhere, um, you know, it, it just <laughs> out of nowhere. Pardon yeah. that expression as well. Hey. Brandon surprised me <laughs> with Chet. You know, he was overall a very likable character. His affability, his optimism, mixed with that genuine, undeniable tragedy. When he, like, uh, yeah, there's there's oh. tragedy to him. There's like, genuine. I, tragedy. I'm gonna say this straight up. Chet is one of the best characters Brandon Sanderson has ever written. Wow. Like nice. I. He is the best character, like my favorite character Brandon has written since pre-Wheel of Time Sanderson. Come on. Come on. He's, really? he's like the only characters I can say like for sure that Brandon's written that I like more are Chris from White Sand, Rathan from Elantris, and uh, a character from ether of night which he you know is unpublished and and he wrote much earlier in his career mm, Dallin uh, and Paravangian both topped that list for me i think yeah i i i thought chet was outstanding wow as a character yeah he, i mean i like he is what got me through the early parts of this book when i was like not really into it and then he became what made me like this book. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Chet, Chet was a load of fun and he had more interesting limitations to me than his abilities in particular with his memory and his self doubt, you know, despite that fluffy exterior, I actually, yeah, I, my final point on Chet was that I actually found him to be a far more engaging character than Spencer was. Yeah. It, it, their interactions were just so good, especially yeah. the cytonic interactions. You know, you mentioned it earlier where, where Spencer can feel that man mm-hmm. that that first cytonic conversation they have when Spencer's a captive and she admits to him like why yeah. she got yeah. caught that was heartbreaking like yeah. she could feel the the visceral pain you know, the the, the most heartbreaking part was his reaction he yeah. still went with optimism he still went with a, I, oh, oh so god good. that ripped me up so good like that's that's the kind of layered characterization that i 
this may be a little controversial, but like that's one of the things I think is sort of missing in the Stormlight Archive. It's not that the characters are bad in the Stormlight Archive, but they're very blunt. They're they're very directly written, where it's like Brandon's kind of hammering down your doors with what each of the characters, you know, like deal is. Like he's he's not subtle about the characterization, sure. but here sure. with Chet, it's like there's this layered subtlety to him. And I think part of that is because he's trying to hide what Chet is for two thirds of the book. You know? Yeah. So and he knows he we're has looking to be subtle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he has to be subtle and he has to make us care about the character while still withholding what sort of character he truly is. And that ends up being really deft. Really, really deft. Mm, I agree. Well, I, I totally agree. Uh, yeah, um, that's everything I have about Chet. I'm ready to talk about my personal favorite character in this series, Hesho, my man. But uh, anything else about Chet? Uh, yeah. So Go for it, take it easy. We, well, it, Ch- Chet's not Chet anymore. Chet's combined um, with Spencer. Yeah, there's like, going to be a... Yeah. I'm super curious to see what the hell that's like in the next book. We're going to need a new name for them. Chetza. Spencer. Chetza. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to work on Ch- it. Chetza's better. <laughs> yeah, Chetza. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be going to be a lot of fun. And I, oh, I just... I can't wait to find the rest of the secrets we have because I can't even I can't even begin to conceptualize what else we are going to find out. But there's enough of, of a of a feeling of weight to that history with the first and second human wars, and now with with, every, with the AIs and the Delvers uh, being evolved forms of the AIs. Mm-hmm. Oh God! I mean, how is he going to wrap this up in one book the same size? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Roughly the same. I mean, who knows? It could be longer, but. You'd expect it to be roughly the same, and it's it's going to be really quite something to see. I think. Yeah. Well, he's anyway. Enough of that right word now, salad. So. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hey, show. Yeah. My boy. <laughs> my man. If there's been any moment in this series, Drew, where my physical reaction should have been recorded, it should, it it should have been when we got the reveal. Figured that, out that it was Hesho. Hesho, he's back. Initially, I didn't believe it was him, simply on account of the fact that I wanted it so badly, and I couldn't believe something so good could be true. But yes, yeah, I definitely. Uh, I initially I didn't want to believe it was Hesho because I just wanted it to be him so badly, and I couldn't believe that something that awesome would be true. But yeah, I was pumping my fist in the air in excitement when he returned. There's. It's just Hesho, every moment he's on the screen is is gold. There's so many moments of childlike glee that when we're reminded of his diminutive and, of course, by incident, of course, adorable nature. Yes. Offhanded descriptions. Wonderful. So small and fierce and mm. wise. <laughs> every word out of his mouth has me captivated. It kills me that this is like kind of like my only point about Hesho because, but I mean, I should say, it's all he really needs as of yet. My ideal outcome, though... This is not really a prediction. I'm just saying my ideal outcome for the finale of this series is that Hesho comes out on top of Emperor of whatever new world comes after. I like it. Thank I you. Was, I was a fan of the, you know, the, overhearing him at the end. He's like, get word to my people. The masked exile. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's just yes. so, he's so grave with everything. And the juxtaposition of that attitude on this, like, a- adorable little package yep. is is perfect. It's so uh it's like yeah. it, this is a this is an instance where Brandon Sanderson doesn't need to write this like complex layered character nope. like Chet. He could if you want the wanted. idea of Hesho is just genius. It's just yeah. pure genius. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hesho Hesho is I want to say he's lightning that would literally fit in a bottle. I mean he's yeah. just wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, so. I was worried. So when he got possessed by the Delver, Bruh. I was like, "Oh, I was like, is this automatic death?" Oh like, God, I was like, "No," because I figured now she's got a reason to go. Another reason to go into the true nowhere and and do what you need to do to bring him back. I was just curious because the, you know, the first time we see a Delver try to take somebody over, it like melted the alien, and then they every take other it. time we see a, a Delver. It, they're just like kind of by themselves out in the middle of nowhere and and 
the impression that I got from it is that, like, this is a disposable husk, and the moment the Delver leaves, they're dead. Like, the oh. personality's been wiped, you know, it's it's just a, a, a flesh suit at this point. Well, and so I was oh. like, crap! Like, you brought Hesho back, and then you... You just axed him again, no. and then no, thankfully, yeah, yeah. Well, because because you know, as I said earlier, you know, in the style points, like where there wasn't ever this like big horrible thing that happened two thirds of the way through the book, and so I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, and and that's when that Hesho point like hit, where I was like, no way, Brandon, yeah, no yeah, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. you are not yeah. doing this, like. And thankfully, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, oh god. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the possibilities because I'm pretty sure it was somebody explained. I want to say it was Chet near the end explained that. Yeah, that's what was happening to the burl, and that's what you, you've seen happen before. When the, when the, I think it's like the, the body is incapable of, of, of handling it. There was some mention as to Hesho being slightly better able to handle, it, or he was tough enough to survive yeah. it. But it's making me think that perhaps Hesho himself has some very slight latent cytonic abilities. Oh, interesting. Mm. Uh, yeah, because, I don't know. I mean, Spence's we eyes were Kitson glowing white when she came can. out of the portal, and she's okay. Yeah, we know Kitson can have cytonic abilities, because no, that's how they got exactly. to Japan. Yep, 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 yep. Little fox people. <laughs> Little fox people. <laughs> Little fox samurai people. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Wonderful. Wonderful. My last character to talk about is Peg, but I really don't have anything to talk about with Peg. That's kind of my point. What about you? Um... So, Peg was interesting in that everything she did, she was so confident about. She's like, I 100% guarantee, oh, you're yeah. definitely better, we're definitely going to win. Like, everything she really. said was so over the top, and and I was waiting for that to be, like, you know, some, some like, character flaw where, where she just has this kind of, like, toxic optimism, and then they end up failing because of... Because of, you know, her ability to convince people. And then it was like, no, she was just right every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I knew something was up. I was, I was, I knew something was up right away with Peg because um, I, I figured one of two things was happening. Either her sons and their, their fallout was completely fabricated and they're just going to bring the clans together at the end in a moment of need, which is what happened. Or, and I thought what was more likely is that Peg, her entire expulsion from the superiority was itself that same thing, faked, and she was just sent out to gather a rebellion so that they can axe it when they needed to. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Um, but it would turn out to be the former, and I was a little, just a little disappointed because, like, well, I mean, something was off, and that would that turned out to be it. it was it was that it was that simple all along? But um, yeah, yeah, Peg was was not a character I was too impressed with myself. Yeah, like Pe Peg was yeah. kind of. I was wondering if she's yeah. really necessary. I think she was necessary. I mean, she's certainly necessary to, for the plot. I have to be forgetting um, something. What did she do that was vital? Besides, like, like the uh, superiority, the, the whole superiority base? plan to yeah, like <laughs> yes, but Spencer couldn't. She, she definitely couldn't have done that. Mm, I don't know. With, yeah, I, like, I don't. I don't think Doom so. Doomslug to cloak her and to infiltrate. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Nah, yeah. But um, yeah, Peg, I was just like meh on myself. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Doomslug. Do you have any notes on Doomslug? No. I, well, the only thing I have to say about Doomslug is I totally forgot Doomslug existed until she was reintroduced. Oh, he, yeah. She, I think it's a she, right? She. She. Yeah. I, I mean, as soon as she was, uh, she came back, I was like, oh, yeah, Doomslug is a thing. Man, a lot of people are going to be up to, uh, getting up to this point wondering where the heck she is. I totally well, forgot yeah, she existed. We're we're kind of told at the beginning, Spencer thinks she went back to Detritus. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. That's you right, know, yeah. there's like a little mention, yeah. So, but uh, I'm ready to go into miscellaneous, and I only have one before we get into my favorite scenes. What about you? Any okay. other characters? Uh, no, I think I'm done with my character points. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, actually, I just have a quote here. Wow, Embot said. You know emotions really well, Spencer. Particularly the stupid ones. I'll take that as a compliment. So what do I do? Weather it, I said. Get better. Learn to accept that sometimes what you feel isn't invalid. <laughs> pardon me. Learn to accept that sometimes what you feel isn't invalid. 
but that it doesn't mean you have to act according to those feelings either. See, I like seeing moments like this where Brandon gets to explore little quirks of human frailty like that. It definitely, like, it it reads like a suggestion for more than just Mbot. It leaps off the page, and it's worthy advice for anybody reading. But Brandon still manages not to make it sound like lecturing or life advice set out for that reason. It it required an extra mental step to uh, like step back, even though it was a small one, to pro- properly appreciate that quote and appreciate it. I did. Like I do, at times like this, manage to pull myself back enough and think. I appreciate. I feel better, slightly better, that the upcoming generation has authors like Sanderson in their prime to discover with the right influence. You know, so yeah. like, bits of wisdom just that I appreciate. Nice. Yeah. So um, that's my only miscellaneous point. <laughs> Yes, so um, one thing I really appreciated in this book were the illustrations. Oh, uh, especially the kitten. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> with I a like little the magnifying zoom in. on it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, the zoom in. I love it. Um, but in in general, the aliens, because yes. in Starsight, you know, we were introduced to so many new alien species, and I never really got like other than a couple of them. Uh, like I had a pretty good, you know mental image of the Varvax and, of course, the Kitson. But a lot of the other ones, I was I was just like, these are weird. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't quite have it in my head of what these are supposed to look like. And then we just get, like, ten different alien species sketched out for us here. And I was like, thank you. Yes. You know. Yes, yes, yes. I yeah, appreciate it, those, well. Uh, so where... Um, you know, where earlier you were talking about how there are things in this book that are difficult to to grasp, to to get a mental image of. There are at least some things that they went out of their way to give us images for. Oh yeah. And every reader will appreciate every one of those, I feel like. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now um Yeah. Uh I think I think that's about it for my miscellaneous as well. Cool. Cool. Shall we jump into that which comes next? Sure. Okay. All right. All right. So I'll go with my third favorite scene then. Yes. The reveal that Hesho is alive. Such a righteous exaltation I have rarely had in my 30 years now of life. It was so much fun. I love Hesho. And, um... Yeah, I mean, that's all I have to say about that. Reveal that Hesho is alive. Great moment. Great. Yeah. Uh, I I considered that for one of my favorite scenes. Uh, it, it it was... It ultimately, like, didn't make it in for me because Hesho wasn't Hesho yet. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, if, if it had been... That hope. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my, my third favorite is Mbot makes Spence a look. Oh... And that would make no sense to somebody who hadn't read this. Out of context, they'd be like, what? Yep. Mm. Yeah, that was a a great climactic moment. Yeah. Even though I wasn't super into Mbot and, and his relationship with Spencer in this book, I cannot deny how good that was, how well-written that was. Three words... Three seconds of horror. That like so three syllables even. It was so so efficient and effective. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my second favorite, the moment that we first saw Hesho's eyes glowing white. The sheer oh my god, please no factor. That is something that can it can only be evoked on behalf of an excellently written character. And so for the the, the horror of that moment, that one takes my second favorite. Yeah. So. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, my second favorite scene is Chet's revelation when Spencer figures out that he's the Delver. Yeah. And, you know, Chet's having this, this breakdown, basically, and, and Spencer makes the decision not to be angry, to trust him nonetheless. I mm. loved that. I know what you're thinking, listener. No way Rob's going to make all three of his favorite scenes about Hesho, is there? Guess what, everybody? 
Excellent. I wonder. I wonder. Hesho said, prodding at his cushioned seating, his tail sticking up straight out of the back. Oh. I am pleased to discover that a ship built for a giant such as yourself <laughs> has a seat for one in my size. Yeah, I didn't tell him it was essentially a cup holder. <laughs> yeah, I, that, in, uh, that's right, everybody. In a book that I'm saying I wasn't a huge fan of, but still continued to be one of my favorite characters we've ever discussed right here in Hesho, I've decided to devote my favorite scenes just to reiterating how awesome Hesho is. I've mentioned a few of the things I would love to do in past podcasts, in the in the worlds, the various worlds that we have tread upon in inking out loud. I had said that I would love to go drinking in the Anseline Gardens from the Wheel of Time. I've said that I would love to watch Binnismen from the Rune Lords enter a slam poetry contest. Yeah, I... And I would also want to sit down and watch a serious war epic like Troy or Kingdom of Heaven with Hesho. <laughs> that would be... I love it. Amazing. I would be watching Hesho watch Kingdom of Heaven. That's what how that would go. <laughs> anyway, so I need to make that last point. All three of my yeah. favorite points were about Hesho. Scenes, well, uh, my favorite scene is also a Hesho scene, but shockingly, I, I thought for sure this was going to be one of yours. Uh-oh, I probably um, forgot it. Oh, no, I'm going to hate uh, myself. It's, Go ahead. Uh, it's Hesho imparting his wisdom uh, when Spence is trying to make her decision. Really, ah. really, it's that entire sequence of like yes. Spence having her breakdown in the hallway and talking with Embod and talking with Hesho, but totally, specifically yeah. Hesho and, and just... You know, where, where he's like, you know, I, I don't have any wisdom. Wisdom is bored from experience, and I I have lost all of my experience. And Spence is like, well, that seems like something pretty wise that you just said right there, you know. And and he ends up just... He, he's, he's so great. Like, yeah. He's just, he's such a, a profound thinker. Mm. You know, like... He really is. And he's so oh. grave. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love yes. it. Oh. Hesho Fantastic. is not only my favorite character, as I said, in this series, but one of the, my favorite characters we've ever discussed on Inking Out Loud. And we don't, I don't have, I feel like a, like a, like an idiot because we don't have much reason to, besides the fact that he's just so cool and so adorable. Yes. I want more. I want more. Hesho. I want what like a, a, a short story or a smaller piece from Hesho's point of view. That would be awesome. <laughs> Pay top dollar for that. Yeah. So they have a Doomslug plushie. Why don't they have a Hesho plushie? Put a little samurai sword on. No, <laughs> he doesn't actually carry a sword, but I don't know. No, yeah, yeah he does. Doesn't he? Does have he a carry sword? a sword? Oh, it's a ceremonial one, one, right? Yeah, there's one scene where yeah. he's got his sword like laying across his lap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it just reminded me of this particular moment in in Starsight when he's just gravely walking or just floating along beside Spencer, like at her height, though on this little dais that's just with the gravitonics on it, or just uh, sorry, sorry, a clivity stone on it, just going. It was ah, great stuff. I just I love it. Oh, anyway, I'm I'm sorry. I'm if we keep going, I'm gonna wax rhapsodic about this little fox Japanese samurai badass we should just end the episode before i get it oh uh final thoughts final final draft and final thoughts yeah right right um i'll get final thoughts first i oh, know let's go final draft first yeah final draft okay yeah, what are you yeah, drinking yeah i'm just drinking diet coke with a bit of ice in it i mean zero carbs i'm two weeks once again into keto it's going good but uh a little bit of caffeine i don't want the cream of a coffee diet coke is my go-to as for actually this is hold on this is a diet pepsi never mind oh uh, okay. but still i mean Nothing spectacular to be drinking today. What about you? Right. I bet you have made up for my lack of imagination, haven't you? Uh, I think I have. Okay. Um, so I'm drinking a beer from Anchorage Brewing Company. Anchorage, uh, yes. The, the, old, the, the old standby. Um, this is a crazy beer. Uh, this is a 15% wood-aged imperial stout. Wow. Fermented and aged in Missouri oak barrels. Finished on Madagascar vanilla beans, coconut, ancho chilies, cocoa nibs, clutch coffee, and lactose. Mm. And uh, like, man, when I poured this thing, the 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 head on it, the bubbles, like dark brown. He showed, he, he showed me. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it smells and tastes like pure chocolate. It looked like liquefied Cadbury but, bubble chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Arrow. 
the chilies, like as this has warmed up, the chilies have really come through. Like there's a nice little like tangy bite to it. No uh, kidding. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a good beer. I, I was I was a little worried when I opened it and I saw like like there was there was like a um like chocolate sludge mm. around the inside of the bottle. You know the mouth of the bottle where I was like, oh my goodness, this is. This is gonna be way too rich, you know, way too adjuncted. Um, but it's it's not as bad as I feared in in terms of that. Um, this is not to say that it it isn't ridiculous because it is, but uh, but this beer is is for my favorite character in the book, good old Chet. Okay, this beer is called the Explorer. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I bet Chet would raise a drink to that one right there. Yeah. And I will raise one for Chet right here. Yeah. As I my will dude. raise one for Ambot. Straight my up. My dude. And for Hesho, cause just because how can't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, always, always. <laughs> you know, like, I, I think after, after talking through this book, I like it more than I did when we started the episode. I agree. I agree. And I feel like, yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's why we do stuff like this. You, yeah, you talk it about it. Right, like you get altering you, opinions. I, I had to, you know, like I said, I I read basically the whole book in, or or like eighty percent of the book in one sitting this afternoon and evening leading up to this, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I didn't have a whole lot of time to ponder to to really engage with it while I was reading, and so this discussion was the first time I'd gotten to really think about some of those. Uh, authorial choices Brandon made and and that definitely has increased my appreciation for for what he's doing in this book I think he, mm. he did some really really great things with the characters uh, I thought the the structure and the um, uh, that's what I'm looking for like the narrative tone of the book uh, are different from what Brandon normally does, and I appreciate that he's still kind of pushing his boundaries, flexing his writer muscles, uh, and growing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even though yeah. I don't love the first act of the book, I think overall I'm I'm very pleased, very pleased. Yeah, I mean, I would I would give this book on the whole uh, a rating somewhere between mildly amusing and excellent appetizer. I know it's gearing up for something wicked awesome in the next in the, in the final installment. Um, I wasn't able to get, like I said, invested in the main character too much. Um, there were a, a few character quirks that annoyed me, but that was mostly contained in the beginning. There were a few predictable twists, but of course, as Sanderson is, there are some totally surprising ones. I was far more engaged by Chet and Hesho. Um, than I was by Spence, as well as the, the, the mystery of the lore that's the, it, that looms and, and the sheer cool factor of the setting there in the nowhere. You know, it's it's probably going to be like my second lowest scoring Sanderson book of his entire body of work. But um, this is, I think, I'll be one step above Calamity. But as I said earlier, this is a Sanderson book. He's got my trust. As yeah. he, he's long since earned my trust as an author. And and, and the story uh, was still a pleasure to read compared to a few of the, of the other titles that we've had to slog through here on this podcast. My complaints are all just subjective (laughs) things. They're all subjective things. And so I'll give this one a six out of 10 for me with a disclaimer that it's probably going to rank a lot higher for many other people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think going in, I would have said I'd rate this like a five or a six out of 10, but now I'm like, yeah, maybe maybe this is like a seven, 7.5. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm really pleased uh, with with how this conversation has like made me kind of recontextualize some things in the book, yeah. So, yeah, and I will nice. leave everybody with the image in their head of little Hesho sitting in the cup holder with his little tail sticking straight up. Straight up, it's so cute. Oh, I love it. Uh, okay, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So this has been what episode one forty four of the according Email to a spreadsheet, it's one forty four. But yeah, um. Yeah. Uh, next up, I believe we're right back into the Dresden Files. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe we're going into Changes. Uh, we will be covering the first 28 chapters of Changes for our next episode. Uh, as always, you know, like Rob said at the top of the show, 
If you want to support us, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud or on coffee, ko-fi. Uh, you know, that support is is uh, very much appreciated. It's what has allowed us to get nearly 150 episodes into the show so far, and we have uh, exciting things to come in the future. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.